Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you've made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you for uh, allowing us to be in the house of God, amongst the people of God, listening to the word of God, and seeing your works and praising our Father who's in heaven. We pray that this day your word would resound in the temple and that it would resonate in the hearts of your people to line themselves up with your word and not have another sentiment. Cover us with the blood of Jesus, Lord. Protect us around this place, Lord. Make it uh, the place of the habitation of your glory. We're seeing signs and wonders and great exploits in our midst. But we pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit, Lord. We pray that your word would be a double-edged sword and cut into our lives to remove those things that you wish not. Be glorified in all these things as we celebrate your salvation, your deliverance, your healing. We pray, Father God, that you continue to uh, show forth the fruits that follow those who believe, Lord. In your name, we'll cast out demons, Lord, and we'll see families restored. We'll see nations renewed. And I pray, Father God, that our thoughts would be constantly uh, placed upon you so that we might have peace in the midst of our journey, Lord. Pray, Father God, that uh, this city would be restored to its rightful place, Lord. And as righteousness exalts a nation, Lord, we pray that we would walk into the provisions of your word for our lives. Be glorified and that this word not return void. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So, um, in this regard, I wanted to revisit the centrality of our faith because um, while there is so many narratives going across and people want to talk about so many things, um, the, the forefront of everything God's doing upon the earth is on the basis of our relationship with Jesus. So uh, if you have a healthy relationship with Jesus, the Bible says in Acts 4.12, that there's only one name given to man through which he might be saved. There's no salvation in any other name. Um, there's, there's no answer to the, uh, to the enigmas, the mysteries, the difficulties and challenges of life are all uh, bowing their knees and their mouths are confessing that Jesus is Lord. So a lot of people don't understand well, the importance of bringing Jesus to the forefront of your life and the forefront of your uh, decisions. Um, those people that find it difficult because they're overwhelmed with so many different expressions in every direction that, that really burdens them, um, come to Jesus and you're going to experience what we experienced when we came to Jesus um, 38 years ago. We, we bowed our knees before the Father in Jesus' name, and then everything in our lives started taking shape and order. Outside of Jesus, there's chaos and confusion. There's great darkness. But he says, I'm the light of the world. He's the answer. And, and for whatever people want to bring various narratives, and the devil is astute in uh, throwing smog, it's smoke and fog. He, he, he wipes out our clarity in the issues of life. You're, you're having marital issues, Jesus is the answer. You're having financial issues, Jesus is the answer. 
So that that song that just came out, I'm I'm praying the name of Jesus over you. Uh, Number one song, Christian song this year. I I thought it was so powerful because she says uh, in the words of the song, the things are so difficult and the hardships are so uh, burdensome that all I could do is pray Jesus' name over you. And then uh, the name above every name. And and so this, this is one of the Bible verses you should really memorize. There is no answer. There's no salvation in any other um, person, name. There's, there's, there's no name. There's no place. Uh, there's no situation that's greater than Christ in the midst of our journey here upon the earth. There's no other name under heaven given. It's a gift to us to to come to Jesus, to hear about Jesus, to have somebody preach Jesus to you is probably the single most important thing that could ever happen to your life, to your existence. And this, it's been given amongst men by which we must be saved. And so this verse becomes the foundation of our word this morning. Now, the men who who Jesus appeared to and began to proclaim his name and and his person, his the substance of his message. In verse thirteen, it says they were unlearned men, and they saw the courage, the boldness that Peter had and John, and they realized they they came to the conclusion that they were uneducated. It, it doesn't take intellect. It doesn't take extreme. A lot of people get caught in these in these matters. Well, um, it has been said, and and it was sad. He says that the drug addicts and the prostitutes come to Jesus because they don't know any better. Well, they had a problem when my dad, a brain surgeon, his life was falling apart. He was fixing the brain, but until he came to Jesus, his life wasn't successful. It wasn't prosperous. So it doesn't matter if you're severely uneducated or extra educated. The answer continues to be, and people perceive this, that the followers of Christ were uneducated and untrained. They were unskilled. So I've always prayed, Lord, don't make me so sophisticated that in my sophistication, I forget you. I often I often ask myself, why is it so hard for me to come faster to Jesus? Because I want to fix it on my own. And what I've realized, the faster that I throw myself on the ground and call upon Jesus, then everything starts uh, unraveling and being revealed in a a good manner. And and the difficult things and the things that I can't bear to to carry, um, you see success and prosperity taking place in the name of Jesus. So these, one of the things that that brought the surrounding observers that were carrying the name that is above all name, that they were uneducated and untrained, and they marveled, but there was one thing that was common to them all. While they were uneducated and unskilled, untrained, they walked with Jesus. That, That was the course of of, of raising up a banner that caused these men to change the world, to transform nations. 
They, they, weren't, they weren't worried about the difficulty of the matter. We, we all know the David and Goliath story. He says, I'm not worried about your height and your strength and your armor and your sword because I'm not calculating, you know, your side of the equation. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. And I know that in that name there's victory. And today, David says, I'm going to cut off your head. Today you lose because I'm coming in the right course. So so my, my heart is that that we win, obviously, but that the joy of knowing how we win, it would be at the forefront of your life. Because um, there's so much distortion and distraction in everything that is taking place. Um, when when I, I just I just did a, a, a social media blast when I talked to Pastor Bobby and, and talked to Richie and talked to Wanda, and we had previously talked to Nikki Cruz when we visited Colorado, um, all of them are saying, this the Puerto Rico needs a visitation. And what a powerful thing is, it will be in the vehicle of what is a man, and it's the message that will resonate in every sector, because there, there are pockets of religious leaders that said, well, if, if Bobby Cruz and Richie Ray, those salseros are involved, we don't want to be involved. And then the celebrities are like, the whole island is bowed down to these fathers of the cultural music and the icon who, who did incredible things. So there's all these things, and we're seeing that one message on what is a man is bringing everybody together to work together in something the nation needs. And we're at the forefront of that formula. And, and we're showing them not with words, we're showing them with our lives. And, and Christ, you know, when, when we were writing this book, we said, well, if we talk about Jesus, people are going to throw away the book and says it's a religious book. But we cannot, we cannot hide Jesus. So I put him at the forefront. Jesus, the model of manhood. And if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. But that is the formula. So also, for whatever the conversations are, and we get convoluted with information Again, the smog of people that don't bring clarity. Have you ever talked to somebody and you're more confused after you talk to them than before? Because the, the end result is they don't want to find the answer because once they find an answer, they have a responsibility. And so what they do is they muddle up the atmosphere and the conversation. And so these people that are bright and, and illustrious for certain matters when it comes to the matter of their relationship with Jesus, they're like, I don't understand. And, and they start bringing all the questions, but you don't need questions, you need an answer. And Jesus continues to be the answer far above anything this earth has, uh, depending on. Uh, in fact, when, when I get invited to do uh, television programs and they'll invite, they want a pastor to speak, and I'll just say, I'll just say one thing, and there's no more argument. And they're like, man, you're no fun because we still have 45 minutes and you've already given us the answer to our confusion. Well, because God is not a God of confusion, he's a God of order. And if you have Jesus at the forefront of all things, you're going to have the rewards of living that life. So last night even, I, I get a phone call from a, a man and he says, I'm full of sorrow, I'm full of darkness, I'm confused and don't know what to do. 
And I said, well, I have an answer for you. Jesus. If you're in right relationship with Jesus, you're not in your state of affairs. And so one of the sisters comes into my office today, and I she said, how are you doing? And, and she asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm on fire for God. I can't believe what God has done for me. And then I said to her, how are you doing? Not so good. I go, you must not be following Jesus then. There, there has to be a disconnect between you and the resources of heaven, the rewards, the benefits of being in right relationship with God. So we pray for her. We rejoice. We encourage her. Um, but it continues to be, what is your issue with your, your relationship and your standing with regards to Christ? Um, as we go through the scriptures, and we'll start in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 pretty much points, this is the gospel of John, and it pretty much points to Jesus as the answer. Uh, John chapter 1, um, verse 7, uh, talking about John the Baptist. This man came and he bore witness to the light. So that all through him might believe. In verse 8, he says, he was not that light, John the Baptist, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. So the same thing I'm doing here this morning is pointing to the light. I've never in this church said that I'm the answer. I've never in this church said spring of life is the answer. From day one, we have had Jesus at the forefront, and we've said he is the reason for everything you see. Um, we don't take any credit to the fact that Christ has come. Verse 9, he says, as he testifies of the light, which is Christ, that was the true light, which gives light to every man. So you have to ask yourself the question, when a man is lost his way and he doesn't find the answer, what's he need to do? Go back to Christ. Make that the centrality of all affairs. And when you're mucking up, when you're disparaging, when you aren't doing what Christ wants, that's when we see grotesque chaos, confusion, no fruit. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So there is being a, a witness to Christ. Um, there would be no matters. One of the questions they kept on asking me in Cuba when we went to Cuba, uh, what denomination are you? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you have to belong to a, don a denomination. I said, I, I came to Jesus, and I'm bringing Jesus. And when I get to heaven, I know there's going to be one question God will not ask one single human in the earth. He's not going to ask anybody what denomination you are. He, he's not going to say, are you Catholic, are you Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Methodist? No. He's going to say, did you know my son? Did you serve my son? On Wednesday we said, if you don't serve the Lord, the distinction between two different men, those who serve God and those who don't. And the rest is history. But people want to convolute it. Um, for you young girls that are single and looking for a husband, you better make sure he loves Jesus. Because if he doesn't love Jesus, he's not worth spending one word with. He better be a passionate 
follower of Christ, otherwise you will be a bitter woman. And so make that one of your top priorities. Put Jesus in everything so that those people who love Jesus will draw near and those people who think you're weird will run from you. But I have a, a phone full of, of texts. I get texts every day of men telling me how wicked their wives are. Well, when they got married to their wives, she didn't love Jesus. And then I have texts of women who tell me how horrible their husband is, but they didn't find a Christian husband. So I say like this, cometelo con papita frita. <laughs> Which means order a side order of french fries and have a good meal because you didn't care at the beginning. You didn't care that Jesus was at the forefront. This is good preaching. Your amens are all um, super absent. I know the people that are watching online, those, those that don't get enough courage to come out to church, but they're saying, amen, pastor, preach it. So the amens are in social media world and cyberspace. Now, listen to me. I want to make sure that we refocus and that we're doing a lot of things and we're getting hit with a lot of back push and backlash and people want to confuse. But it's simple. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the substance of the provisions of God for our refreshing. He never brought the politics of religion. He never, he never once hurled anything that would be a stumbling stone. In fact, he says, those of you that are causing these little ones of mine to stumble, you better disappear before I get to you. Because I won't tolerate you turning this into your circus. So here it is. Um, he continues to testify that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the light by uh, verse... 10, he was in the world, and through the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. The, the, the fact that everything that's going upon the planet, we just saw the video of Cuba, lost men in every direction. I ask a question, pursuing what? Where are you headed with what accomplishment do you think you're going to attain outside of Christ? And I, 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 this is what I say. I said, if you're pursuing anything in this world that's not Christ at the forefront, you're a foul ball. A foul ball does nothing. You, you just left the boundaries of the game. No runner could run. There's nothing happening because the significance of your purpose was to be in boundaries and, and be part of the progression of the advancement of his call. So there's so many men, women, and families that are just duds, foul balls, going nowhere, meaning nothing. When God has created all things for significant purpose in him, the, the, the verse that says that our life is hidden in Christ, that he who finds Christ, he who has the Son, has the life. And if you're not bringing that, so so to be able to, to find who you are and what God would have you do, it's in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're a dud. Any accomplishment, he who gains his life will lose it. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and not significantly push his substance 
of matter in creation towards the one who deserves it all. And so life is not without purpose and significance, but your vanity and the temporal affairs of the pleasure of sin are keeping you, listen to what it says, entertained. But you're not fulfilling your call. If I would not have come to Christ at 16, I would not have the marriage I have. My marriage makes a big difference in the life of my children. My family makes a big difference because of my children in Christ. We could rock the nations. And, and the, biggest, the, the biggest people, uh, the, 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 the most significant people have not been able to raise champion sons and daughters. I have because of Christ. Because Je- Jesus is central in our existence. Some people, we went to get a homeless prostitute. She's living on the street. She's a crack addict. We brought her into our home. He said, come and live with us. It was crazy. We had to hide all the knives. Because our kids were small. We said, what if she goes on a binge at night? And so we, we grabbed all the knives and, and we hid them. And it was crazy. And so she was there and, and she lived with us. And she says, I got to go. I said, why are you leaving? She says, because all you guys do is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. In every conversation, in every meal, in every situation. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going crazy. Here she is crazy on crack. She's a prostitute living on the street. So she comes to a place where there's peace, there's joy, there's provision, there's acceptance. There's I didn't put her in a hotel for one reason. I could have. Down the street is a great hotel. But that would have been a rejection to what she needed in acceptance. And so we were being the real thing because of Christ. And, and she left our home and her boyfriend, who was a Jewish atheist, said, no, 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 we're going to that church on Sunday. So the, the life of Christ even transformed his heart. And so we see that, that that has been the key to our success throughout. So I don't know to raise up and leave my children with something short of Christ. That, that's not going to happen. So here, the first chapter makes it the, centra- the centrality of Christ who transforms and brings us in to a relationship with God in a phenomenal sense. Um, in chapter 2 of John, I'm go quickly because we got so many chapters of John to go through. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to lay an introduction that I hope will be a blessing. The first thing that he does in, in, in coming to the scene is the miracles at the wedding of Galilee, Cana of Galilee. So he's invited to a place, and again, his mom says, listen, do something about the lack of what's taking place. He did something glorious. He turned water into wine. And right now, a lot of people, what they're doing with Christianity, the substance of wine, which is incredible, it brings joy, they're watering it down where it has no substance. And so I went to Texas, and I was invited to a men's conference in Texas. I said, hey, Texians, Texans, you have watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ so much that your children are converting to Islam. And your churches are turning into mosques. Imagine hardcore Christian state. But they've watered down Christianity to such an extent. Listen to this. This is going to drive you crazy. 
that the mayor in Dallas was a lesbian. The, the, the official leader of the city in a supposedly Christian state is a homosexual. And you know what she tried to do? She, she said none of the churches, none of the preachers could preach against morality. So how do you vote into office someone who will quiet the church? Well, that didn't push, that didn't work. That did not work. Because they, they took that to elections and it was voted down. But, but we've, we've watered down Christianity. How many of you know someone who has lesser of a standard of God than what the Word of God says? They water it down. Yeah, I can have sex with my girlfriend. I can live with my girlfriend. I'm a Christian. No. No. You can't play with God's standard. So there at the, at the wedding of Galilee, we see Jesus moving powerful, doing a miracle, which is converting water to wine. And everybody was blown away. He's already done the power. I, I think that, that that is major because the very first thing that captured our heart was not only the message that he was the light, but the miracles that followed. And when I, I, I talked to the sister this morning who walked in my office, I said, the miracles I've seen in your life, they testify of him. So if we start enumerating what God has done miracle-wise, something that was never supposed to happen, and it happened in our life, but I also realized that miracles don't change people. There have been people who have come to this church with no hope of any healing and success and restoration, and God did it. You know what they did? They picked up their blanket and left. And Jesus says, wasn't there 10 of you and only one of you come back to say thank you? Yeah, so miracles with the lepers. He heals 10 lepers and only one out of the 10, that's 10%. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if only 10% of spring of life is here. Where's the other 90% that God did wonders, miracles, signs, and great exploits and are no longer here serving their Lord? One of the men that was here had three life sentences. He was facing three life sentences in jail, and the Lord fought his battle and gave him the victory, and he's gone. And so I had an opportunity to talk to him. I said, listen, next time I'm going to ask God to keep you in jail and give you good jail ministry. Yeah, because God comes, he delivers, he saves, he does signs and wonders and marvels, and we still don't worship him. In fact, they say like this, now that I'm healed, now that my house is good, now that I'm prosperous, now that everything's going good, see ya, don't want to be ya. And they're not here. They're not here. See, one of the reasons I'm here is not because of what he's done for me, but maybe someone walks through those doors and I get to tell them what Jesus did. I, I get to share the power of God. I, 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 a long time, been a long time, that I don't need anything from the Lord no more. And I'm not here because I need something. I'm here because I'm ready to give something. I'm, I'm ready to, to encourage the discouraged, to, to give an example. That's, that's what a Christian does. He gives an example of what a, a person who doesn't know. When Jurgen got here for the first time, he says, Hey, pastor, how do I give to the Lord? 
I go, well, you might not want to use my example because I've given it everything and you might backslide. But I'll, I'll try to find somebody that will teach you how you could honor God with what God gives you. Because it should be miserable for God to give, 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 and you not show forth your gratefulness to all that he gives. Now, George Smith, where are you? George Smith came up to me last year. He says, Pastor, I'm so embarrassed. I was like, what happened, George? God has given me so much. I, I need to do something. If not, everybody will know that I'm a descarado. Because God has blessed me so much. I'm so prosperous. And, and it's powerful. And so from time to time, I remind him, don't forget that God has given you an incredible wife. And your wife was the key to great prosperity in your life. And so we're walking in the direction of Christ because greater is his glory. A lot of people says, oh, oh pastor does this complain. Yeah, I complain because a lot of stuff that comes in front of me, but, but I don't want you to miss where I'm at. The fact that, that I have to really address crazy, there's not a day that goes by that I don't tell my wife, these people are nuts. There's not a day that goes by that I said, I don't understand crazy people. But don't get confused. I, I could sit there and feel these scenarios, and I, I could rebuke like the Bible tells me to do, and we're going to get into that now. But my joy is Christ. And the centrality of my every day is being overwhelmed, listen to this, by the goodness of God. I don't have time to make something else, the narrative, because I know that's what the devil wants. The devil wants me to bring these things that I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to address. But I am going to talk about the goodness of God. He's been amazingly way, way, way better than I ever imagined. And so here he is. He's doing his thing. He's doing miracles. Miracles don't change people. Even that huge wedding that he did did not impact the next thing he does in chapter 3, he has to deal with religious people. And the religious people is Nicodemus. And he says, I don't understand how you say that you're a teacher of my people when you don't even get the simple things. So he's dealing with the difficulties of the intellectual, supreme, religious leadership in the vicinity. And, and it's there where... He brings back to coalition, he brings back to understanding John 3.16, which I believe has to be that which totally, what's that called when you, when you blow a fuse? Every argument against your going on with Christ is here unleashed. God loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever has a right relationship, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. The centrality of our message is the love of God. And, and every time I talk to somebody, it's like, no, because I was in church and I was hurt. Okay, but listen to me. The love of God is the antidote to anything that the devil could have done through anybody he could have done it through. I'm not, I'm not going to carry the perpetual bleedings and the licking of wounds in the midst. So our conversation with Pastor Richie from time to time is, my God, Joaquin, how the heck have you persevered and survived everything that has happened? 
Because I'm not going to that narrative. The love of God in my life in giving me Christ far surpasses anything. In fact, I don't, I don't, I don't as I tell the story, I don't go to oh, the church or the pastors. Or, I, I go to the love of God. I, I tap into there and it's almost like a repellent to any viral existence. I'm not catching anything the devil is dishing out because the love of God in my life has been so overwhelming. And so while you try to point me in the direction of things that are toxic and bitter and resentful and divisive and critical and judgmental, no, no, I'm not going to go there. The love of God in my life has been extravagant. His goodness has been far outweighs anything that I can think of. And so that's what he tells Nicodemus. He says, listen to me, you better get a different perspective. I believe that that night, I believe that that night Nicodemus was depressed because he did everything in his religious power to obtain refreshing and it wasn't cutting it. So he comes to Jesus and says, tells me the secret. And this is what Jesus says in verse 14. Just as Moses was lifted up in the desert to keep the serpent away, and everyone who saw that serpent lifted up would be healed. He says, verse 15, so whoever concentrates on me will have this life and will never die and will actually live forever. Let's read verse 14 again. In the desert, Moses lifted up, God told him, lift up that serpent in the wilderness. Whoever is sick that looks upon this snake on the cross, on this stick, would be healed in that same manner, whoever has any toxic, venomous poison that looks at Christ and understands a right relationship, that's it. The devil can't touch you. You, you have now the antidote, verse 15. So also, those who focus upon me will not perish but have eternal life. So that's, that's chapter 3, um, and we're working this thing really powerful. Because in John chapter 4, he runs into a Samaritan woman, and she's digging and trying to find in a well. And he says, listen, if you come to me, it's resolved. He, he didn't talk about anything else. I don't know why you make up of a conversation. Somebody calls you, well, I'm very sad and sorrowful because Fulanita told me that she saw Menganita, and they were both, and my name came up. And they get into the narrative, and you feel like saying... Where's Jesus? Where, where is Jesus in all this? Why are you wasting time with Fulanita, Manganita, uh, Sangandongo? Well, why, why is it that you're muddying the waters? Why, why is it you have a political argument? I, I remember one day Pastor Medieros was sitting at a gathering they invited us to. We were witnessing to a family. All the family members were there, all the righteous uh rhetoric, and, and they say, Pastor Medeiros, what do you think about Vicente Fox? And it's like, really? You want me to talk politics? Let me tell you. Um, five years ago, I lost my wife, and Jesus gave her back to me, and he restored my home, and now I have faith, and I have joy, and I have peace. And he went on for 45 minutes talking about Jesus. And the people were like listening to him, and they're like, and they, at the end, they said, and what's that have to do with politics? He goes, nothing. But you're not going to waste my time talking gibberish. What's that have to do with my problem? Nothing. I took you to the source of the answer, 
and you chose not to drink of those waters. And that's what John chapter 4 says. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, forget about your religion. No, because Jacob left the well because, and he says, listen, I will quench your thirst. I will give you something, a gift of God. If you would have known the gift of God, you won't be asking for other issues and other, for, I, look, they already think we're crazy. So don't get on their narrative to try to explain their intellectual confusion. Just tell them about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them who Jesus is in your life. And, and, and press on to that centrality of the faith. Listen, the key to this woman, once she got it right, the entire city of Samaria came out and came to the feet of the Lord. If Jesus would have wasted time on politics and religious, you're not supposed to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink. He wanted to get into religious regulations. Jump that, jump that, boom. Jump politics, jump historical, jump, just jump everything. And, and get straight to Christ. And Christ was her answer. And she ran into the town and took Jesus to the rest of them. And, and they all were able to, uh, the Bible says in John 4, 39, the Samaritans from that city believed in him. And they made Jesus their savior. Because of what the woman had said when she testified. She went straight. She didn't go back to the town to start polemics and, and confusion. And, and no, because you don't know. The issue is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. He's the answer. John chapter 5, we see him also come to the healing of Bethaba. He does miracles, signs, and wonders. Um, I was encouraging a sister here at the church who's around a lot of sick people. Start laying hands on people in the name of Jesus. Forget about medicine. Forget about the latest development, the CDC. Put your name, put your hand on these sick people and say, in Jesus' name, be healed. And then let God do his wonderful works that will cause men to come to him. We have John chapter 6, probably the saddest chapter, because while he's dealing with all these things, you know, and and you see, listen, uh, it's glorious to have men. I'm going to say this right now. It's glorious that the men at Spring of Life Fellowship, I have men I could count on. Because it would be horrendous to put my confidence in a coward. The Bible says to deal with an unfaithful man is like chewing food with a broken tooth. It's very painful. To try to do something with unfaithful men, the Bible says it's like walking on a broken foot. You, you can't. You can't sustain the weight of it. So God's plan for anything he does is faithful men. And the unfaithful, he's going to slay. He says every morning he wakes up to go throughout the city to kill an unfaithful man. Our God is a glorious, life-giving, transforming, and saving God. But if you're going to be unfaithful, you're a dead duck. Even the high priest that would go into his presence once a year had to tie a rope to his ankle. And you're like, what? Why do you put a rope on me? Because if you don't go in... In a right attitude, you're dead. You're not sick. You're not frail. You're not weak. God kills you on the spot. Who? The high priest. The guy who represents God to the camp. If he goes into the presence of God, Old Testament, he'll drop dead. And you know how they knew he was dead? Because they would tie little bells around his garment and they would be jingling. And as long as there was jingle bells, jingle bells, everything was great. You're doing what God wants. You're living how God wants. 
But if all of a sudden, ring, ring, ring. Uh-oh. <laughs> Guy's out. Well, who did this out? The devil? No, God. Because God refuses to have tricky men in his presence. He's not going to tolerate it. So, so One sister came here many years ago. She says, Pastor, who's keeping an eye on you? I go, you don't know God. God will wipe me out in a second, in a blink of an eye. I fear every time I stand here because it's a, it's a huge responsibility. There will be people here that if they listen to what I have to say today, their life will change in the eternal expression of greatness. And then the men, if I rub them wrong, will go out these doors and they'll be condemned to hell. And that's an incredible responsibility to have. I remember when Joshua says, hey, Dad, all the law students at UM are going to come. My friends are going to come on Sunday morning. They've never been to church. And I started quaking. I was like, what an incredible responsibility that they would be here. And they come away saying, that was boring. That was lame. One of his friends, I think it was Drew, said, I've never been to church, but I'll never miss another Sunday service. Because of the exchange that happened on that morning, God was faithful to, to really understand. He said, my parents didn't teach me about church or about God. But being there that one day, I'll never miss church again. And so he walked away with the reality of a right relationship with God. And that's what I hope happens today. The purpose of this message is that you would have the foundations of our faith that Christ died for you. That God sent his son that you might find life and have it in abundance. So there in John chapter 6, what is the most sad thing that could happen as he's doing miracle signs and wonders, as he's reaching the Samaritan woman, as he deals with the religious elite? There in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and followed him no more. Is that a remote possibility? That those who follow Christ will come to the place of saying, the message is not doesn't fit into my schedule. I wanted a little bit of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. And so we have said this before in this house. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord not at all. If he's not Lord over all of your life, you can't relegate Christ to a little pocket of saying, I'll, I'll see him on Sunday every once in a while. I'll, I'll, I'll watch him on video. And then you're doing your life as you want without attesting to the reality of Christ the Bible says at that time, many of the disciples, you, you would be in awful company to having began in Christ and then dropping off along the way. That's what a lot of my friends told me when I first came to Christ. They said, don't worry, in a couple of months, in a couple of years, when you get married, when you have children, when you have grandchildren, they keep on trying to figure out when's the time that Christ is no longer a figure of substance and weight of priority in my life. And I just pray to the last day that, that I celebrate the goodness of God and do not bring any other polemics into my narrative that the devil is dying to do. But in, in his case, they followed him no more. Many of his disciples, many of the people that had him at the forefront, look at, always remember this verse. Look what the number is, 666. It reminds you of the devil, right? The Antichrist. He's going to stamp all these people with the 666 and they'll be condemned to hell. Not me, not my family. We're going to be at the feet of Jesus. We're giving God our best on this side of eternity. No regrets when we get to heaven. God's not going to say, 
why couldn't you do more? I mean, why, did, why wasn't I pressed? Why wasn't I served as God? So here it is, verse 67. He turns back to the 12 and he said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Because I'm going to say it again. To follow Christ is not an obligation or an imposition. I'm not going to make people follow Christ. Are you crazy? I, I have a million reasons. A, a, a friend of mine said as we were growing up, uh, I could write a book this thick of all the bad things that I see. I said, you're a wicked man. Because you could write a book of all the good things you see. All the things that God has done for you. Why do you choose to pinpoint a few things that justify a conduct that's unbecoming? So if we're taking God serious, we're going all the way. And Jesus will ask you, do you want to go away? That's an option you have available to you. He gave it to the 12. Right there at the Last Supper, he tells one of them, go and do what's in your heart. Go, go, just finish. It's in your heart already. That's your inclination. Just go. Be a puppet of the devil. And then the regrets are that he hangs himself, Judas, when he sees that the devil used him in a season of his life that he thought he was going to prosper without Christ. Verse 66, 68, they tell him a very powerful thing. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? What direction shall we go? You only have the words of life eternal. In that engagement with you is that our life is best expression of who we are. And, and so I was talking to another man yesterday, and he says, look, since I've come to Christ, the expression of my life has been victorious. I want more of that. I want more obedience of Christ. I want Christ to be central. I, I don't want to betray that reality. So we go on and to get to verse 7, and, and then here comes the, the chapter 7, the polemics of his own family. And you're like, oh, with everything Jesus has to go through to accomplish the Father's will, why would it get to chapter 7 where his own brothers did not believe in what he was doing and they told him so? There in chapter 7 of John, his disciples have left and his own family won't give him any... Look what it says in verse 1. It says the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's the climate of the day. After these things, Jesus walked into Galilee for he did not want to walk into Judea. Why? Because the Jews were seeking how to kill him. Verse 2, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the religious holidays of the time. Verse 3, the brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go to Judea so that your disciples may also see that you are who you say you are. This is Jesus. He's not only addressing the religious elite of the day, the woman at the well, the disciples that were following him didn't follow him no more. Everything was stirred up. That, 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 the, the, the single laser focus and purpose of Christ is to continue. And then he gets to the place where his own brothers, verse 4, it says, go out there and get known. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Go get validity outside of us. Why? Verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. How many know that since this church was born, one of the greatest hindrance to our ministry has been my own family? How many say amen to that? Every turn. Why are you doing this? And where are you doing? And where are you thinking? In Cuba and in Puerto Rico. Listen, God has in 24 years beyond proven that he's in this place doing incredible things. 
Just amazing things. So no more setback, no more dragging their heels. I, I talked to my dad this week. I said, Dad, believe. Believe already what God has done has been glorious. So let's take the land he's given us. We, we cannot continue. Well, I noticed they still haven't taken down the VBS stuff. So maybe, you know, things got a little bit difficult. No, no. Actually, the sacrifice has been so great. We've wanted to perpetuate as a testimony of people who love God. And so in that regards, his brothers didn't believe and that was an impediment. He, he responded to them, look, I know that you guys have an issue. Verse 6, he responds. Then Jesus said to them, my time is not yet. These times are super crucial to, to walk in the times and the order of the Lord. But your time always is ready. What's it mean? Believe. Believe once and for all that God, you know, one of the things with my daughter, um, she believes that God has something good for her. And that has kept her. Because she knows our God not to be a liar. He, he in Brandon's life, and God's going to raise him up. But he has to crush him first. So humility is a part of his life. And it doesn't matter what we go through. Our confidence is Christ. He's been way too good for us not to give him our best. And so we're exhausted, and, and there's a lot of work and responsibility. But, but truly, the polemic is, is where you are with regards to Christ. The, the fact that some parents are not ushering Christ as the forefront of the family. We're going to church. Well, why are we going to church? Not because it's spring of life. Not because they want to meet up with some human standard of, of responsibility. They have a great God. It must come into the sanctuary of God and lift up holy hands and pay your vows before the living God and the witnesses that dictate your relationship with your God. That, that's the standard in this place. And it's on top of everything that is facing against us. So here he says, your time is already, all, all, you're, you're already ready. Your time is always ready. You're, you're right to get right with God so you may see. And so in that particular chapter, he actually comes out and he he shows himself to the world and, and he makes a declaration that I don't want to bypass. And we're about to finish here. Um, I don't want you to miss what he tells those people when he shows himself for the first time in a public setting where he's going to address the multitude. And, and he has these incredible words. Look. He, he has everything that's gone on, everything that's going on. The Jews seek to kill him. The Samaritan woman that wants to talk religion and tradition. Um, but he, he does something that's so powerful. And the Bible says in the last and final day, right there it is, in, in John seven thirty seven, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stands and cries out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It, it doesn't say that your issue is going to get resolved by, by addressing it. We talked about bitterness. We talked about offense, taking up offense, all these issues. He says, no, on the last day, he says, if anyone has issue of thirst, wants to be quenched in his aspirations to this life, let him come to me and let him drink. 
Verse 38, he says, and he who believes in me, the centrality of a relationship with Christ, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the currents of living water, forming a river of life. And then he spoke, verse 39, of the Holy Spirit that those who believe would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So in right relationship with God, there's going to be what Romans 11.22 says. You're going to taste of the goodness of God. If you're not tasting of the goodness of God, don't hang your hat on anything else. Therefore, consider the goodness because the opposite of the goodness is the severity. You don't ever want to be on God's bad side. And if you're not following Christ like Christ would have it, then you're going to see a lot of things that will strike you as bizarre. But towards you, goodness. You continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And how, how is it, and this is, you have to grasp this because it drives people crazy. How could one verse tell you, come to the goodness of God? Come to the come and consider that he wants to pour the lavish, extravagant love of God upon your life. But if you don't, it goes from everything to nothing in a heartbeat. And so a lot of people say, oh, I'm hurt. But you heard about what? You said you were going to cut me off. Yeah, that's how incredibly important it is. That in one moment, he's talking about, look, there's huge goodness if you're in right standing with Christ. And if you're not, people say, don't tell me. I don't want to hear anything negative. Joaquin, every time I talk to you, something bad. I have to tell you about the horrible expressions of God's grace not being in your life. Why? He gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. So when he cuts off your lifeline, and he says it in this verse, and he even gets to the point, as he explains it, he says, look at Israel. They started playing around, and they were cut off. Now, God would like to graft them back in, and when he grafts them back in, they're going to flourish. But he has this this, this scenario. Are, are you in Christ? Are you part of God's goodness? And the expressions of, when people says, man, in one article, a newspaper, we went to Aberdeen, Aberlin, Aberlin, Texas. They came out and they said, Pastor Joaquin and Yvette's life is a fairy tale. Well, you know why it is? Because of our passion and love for Christ. It's not, God doesn't have favorites. Those that are in Christ are going to experience a life beyond anything they ever even thought. And we're living this life now, and we want to encourage you to come back to Christ. And quit with all the other issues. And he says they'll be cut off. And he says, I, I don't want you guys to be cut off. Consider his gracious kindness. Understand his severity. Verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, God will graft them. There, there's provision for Israel that was cut off. If they do not continue in unbelief, if they come to Christ, he will graft them back in, and God is able to graft them back in. How many say amen? doesn't matter if we cut off and we distance ourselves and something happened in our relationship with Christ that it's severed. Well, get back in. Verse 24. For if you were cut out 
of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? He could bring back those who were cut off because of their unbelief. Verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, their blindness, has happened to Israel until God brings in all the Gentiles. So that, that transition is there. But the warning is, don't be cut off. Don't, don't having been part of God's incredible goodness, now be cut off. Um, Let's stand today and thank the Lord for this message and and encouragement for you and I and those that listen um, to return to sound doctrine, to return to a right relationship with Christ, and then he is the groundwork for everything else that comes. Um, Horrible for those who having begun now falling away uh, because of all sorts of of travesty it might be a family issue it might be a religious issue it might be a relationship issue with the church this morning what christ wants to do is heal you and save you and restore you and encourage you um this this matter of why the presence of rebuke uh it serves a purpose to the wise uh proverbs seventeen ten says when you rebuke a man of understanding It cuts deep into who he is. A rebuke has an effective result for a wise man. If if you're getting rebuked, you understand, I must be doing something that needs to be placed in right right terrain, a right pathway. But a rebuke serves no purpose to a fool. A rebuke in the life of a wise man will, will bring him back to understanding but more than a hundred blows on a fool. Sometimes you, you just rebuke people, rebuke, rebuke, and then it doesn't. They, they never respond. So the rebuke has no purpose. They have a seared conscience. Their heart has become hardened. They don't respond anymore. Yesterday I was telling a, a man. I said, whenever a man of God speaks into my life, I have hypersensitivity, and I ask my question: Why would God have one of His servants? waste time on my life. So I don't take that as so-and-so is talking to me. No, 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 it's not so-and-so. It's God. And if you have that right scenario, you'll let God lead you in the right path. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise man hears instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A guy who's a mocker, it doesn't matter if you call his attention. He's not looking for you to call his attention, so he only gets irritated and offended. But God, in his favor and his goodness, he rebukes those he loves. He calls them to attention. Psalm 119.21 says, you rebuke the insolent. You rebuke, you rebuke the proud. Those that are cursed, who are straying from your commandments. That's who God rebukes. Um, the occasion to to encourage and to celebrate those people that are doing right, they hardly ever get rebuked because they are towing the line and following the course. So they get celebrated, they get praised, they get uplifted. But those that are going astray will be at the end. 
Um, I don't know if you had a sibling in your family that got more belt and more spankings than you. And you know why, right? Because they were the hardhead. They were the ones that were always pushing the envelope and always trying their parents' patience. Um, so I know that in Jules' life, he got a lot less spankings than I, because he would always see me getting dragged through the coals and beaten up. And he's like, I'm not doing what that guy just did. And so he would learn. And there's sons like that in the Lord. There's sons that get spanked and rebuked and, and exhorted strongly um, because they are about to go in a direction that God is trying to stop them so that they don't suffer loss. Um, and then all of, obviously we have this one, verse 27, verse 5, Proverbs 27, 5. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. There are children that suffer because their parents never call their attention. Um, and, and they're like, no, I'm not going to spank my child. Look, you're cursing your child when you don't correct him and when you don't spank him and he doesn't realize what he's doing is wrong. Verse 6, it says, wounds from a friend are faithful. Faithful are the wounds that a friend causes, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. People are like, you don't need that. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a church. They're always telling you uh, all that stuff leads to great loss. Um, and so thank you for your time this morning. Uh, I believe that God is a good God. Uh, he's a loving God. If we concentrate what the Bible says in Matthew 22, 30, it says, love God with all your heart. Verse 36, Matthew 22, 36. They came and they said, what is the greatest expression of a commandment? What, what do we really need to follow? And he says in verse 37, love your, the Lord your God. Concentrate on your devotion with him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then verse 38 Love others in the same way, verse 39. The second, uh, expound what you have gotten in your relationship with Christ with others. And if you keep these two focuses, we're on the right route in, in the midst of everything that's coming against us in every direction. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. Thank you for speaking to us as sons and daughters. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you for the house of God. Uh, we cherish you and what you've done and your life and example is our inspiration and, and our being able to see that, that you are sufficient to lead us in all these matters from victory to victory, from triumph to triumph. You take us from glory to glory, Lord. So I pray that you would heal anyone who has been hindered in his walk and in his race in the Lord and that he might come full circle, Lord, to fall at your feet and bow before you, the God of salvation. There's no other name given to us through which we might be saved, Lord, that we not go astray, that we not be hindered in our devotion and worship of the one true God and King. We glorify you and we celebrate you and we all say amen in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. There's mangoes on the way out. If you didn't come to church today, no mangoes for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord. God bless you.